Welcome to Lamestream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish, and you can follow me on Blue Sky at Scavendish dot dot social dot whatever ridiculous name convention they have there. So Although I do been, like it better than Twitter. So you've been approved. You've been selected. That's great. Um, we'll get into. I'm in. One, I'm one in, bit, baby. One episode soon, we can discuss the rise and fall of Threads already. <laughs> um, no, no. Today on the show, Nick Suss going to join us. I think uh, a, a really nice addition to the Titans press corps coming from the Clarion Ledger in Mississippi to cover the Tennessee Titans for the Tennessean. Uh, really interesting, thoughtful dude. So uh, we'll have a long conversation with Nick Suss and stay to the end when we talk sitcoms. So there you go. Nick Suss coming up on the show today. He will not discuss the incident that took place between him and Deion Sanders that made him some some viral fame there early in his career a couple of years ago. Um, he he does not want to talk about it. We do ask him about it, but he doesn't want to talk about it. So we're going to talk about it for him after the interviews. So check that out. Talk of course, about. yeah, talk about talk about. Uh, there's so much stuff going on with like, and this is going to tie into that story, which is Deion Sanders being just insanely sensitive. Well, the Baltimore Orioles did something insanely sensitive. And then we're going to tell you who in Nashville is doing the opposite and doing it the right way here in Nashville. And I've got a uh, Johnny Manziel documentary review for you at the end of this whole thing. So a lot of stuff to do today on the show. We do appreciate you all for listening. Please rate, review and subscribe. It's been wild. I know, Steve, you've been doing a lot of election coverage, so it's been a crazy time. We threw some a taste of our of our, another show on the feed last week, Pod Bless Nashville. You can go check that show out. We gave you a little taste of that last week on the show. So it's kind of nice to be back to a normal episode today of Lamestream Sports, which is a podcast about Nashville sports media and business. And it is brought to you by Jaspers. Always brought to you by the fine folks at Jaspers because, you know, Jaspers will stick to sports. <laughs> and they're not too sensitive, obviously, because if you've listened no, to us, do, not sensitive. If you've listened to us do ad reads for Jaspers for the last three years, you have heard Jasper's doesn't care what we have to say. <laughs> <laughs> they are not too sensitive. One of the there. many reasons why you should go to Jasper. That's exactly right. They don't care about uh, slappy sports writers and, and commentators. They care about cooking excellent food and creating the next evolution of the sports bar for their patrons. That's what they do well. So go to Jasper's, everybody. Okay. Uh, like I said, really interesting story. If you do not know the history of the story with Nick and Dion, we'll discuss that after the interview. But a really interesting guy, really fun dude, uh, really smart, interesting perspective on on how to do the job of being a beat reporter. Got onto the beat midway through, so we'll hear you're going to hear all kinds of stuff about his journey through becoming a sports fan and growing up in the South as a Northerner, but now covering college football and now pro football. So a lot of really great stuff. Here was our conversation with the Tennesseans Titans beat reporter Nick Suss. Nick, welcome to the show, man. We really appreciate having you. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Uh, happy to be here. So let's start from the very beginning. Uh, you're not quite at your one-year anniversary yet on the Titans yeah. beat, but let's go way back before uh, all the different beats you've been on. Um, when did you know that you wanted to work in this godforsaken industry? Um, probably fifth grade, I would say. I was chosen to do the sports report on the morning announcements at our school. <laughs> I, was, I was genuinely terrified the first two there's, weeks. There's a lot of pressure in being on the PA system, yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, it was it was filmed. I was being beamed into everybody's classroom on TV, and I was I was terrified those first two weeks. And then week three, I had a joke prepared. 
Oh. <laughs> I made my friend behind the camera laugh with the joke. What well, what was the joke? I I don't I think I called it Lana Hotlanta or something. Just like the dumbest possible thing. Nice. <laughs> and made a friend laugh with my juvenile fifth grade sense of humor. And that snowballed into me going for 10 minutes on the sports report on Monday mornings, I wasn't talking about like the Falcons. I was talking about youth football, like what Sharon Springs North was doing against <laughs> West. And kids were late for class. Like I was going for such a long time that like the second graders teachers were complaining, hey, you can't let this kid go so long. Our kids are missing art time. So I, I kind of got the bug there. And then when I was in eighth or ninth grade i want to say i started uh being the commissioner of my friends fantasy football and baseball leagues mm. and every week i would write a long league manager note that was essentially just a column of me joking about whatever i wanted to do and it was me obsessively watching snl and me obsessively watching colbert rapport and just trying to be that but for sports and i would just be here are 20 pithy observations about sports and i i kind of got hooked on writing about the nfl and major league baseball and all of that through there uh, and then got to college and started doing it at the school newspaper started my own blog with some friends started doing it through there and it uh it all kind of rolled downhill from there where'd you go to school you went i went to university of georgia that's right sorry uh, sorry for all the success <laughs> Not a Georgia fan, unfortunately. I started doing this too soon into my tenure. I grew up only <laughs> watching the NFL and started working in sports media my second semester freshman year. So I never uh, okay. had a chance to actually bask in it. So, okay. so like okay. the last no, no, couple no, of no. years, the last couple of years, you're, you're like, eh. Georgia won its first championship a year and a half ago or whatever that was. What I was doing when Keely Ringo had the interception return for the touchdown, I was handwriting out wordles for my then fiance now wife <laughs> because there was only one a day at the time. And I was just like handwriting like <laughs> six or seven wordles so she'd have something to do during the workday. Okay. All right. First of all, uh, quit making all of the other husbands in the world look bad. Um, no, but number two, <laughs> what like so you you were like dead inside it in, in like sixth grade? Is that what you're saying? Like, because I I've covered college football for almost twenty years, and I got into this because I'm obsessed with the sport and I love it. Not just one school, my alma mater, but like everybody. I, I like Oregon State as much as I like, you know, whatever an SEC championship game. You're telling me that you were largely dead inside before you got on the beat because that's that's no. a new that's a new twist for me. No, what I'm telling you is that I was under the impression growing up that Saturdays were for playing sports and Sundays were for watching sports. But in the South? Yeah, no, I grew up in Georgia, but my parents are from the Bronx. So okay. I just Okay, there it uh, is. <laughs> I, I grew up in a I grew up in a pro sports household and, and like I was aware that college football existed. I could go to school and talk to people about, "Hey, that Tebow fella." Like I I knew how to join the discourse. But like I was I can't remember. Actually, I think the first time I actually sat down and watched a college football game with friends and thought, let's make a time out of this was Alabama LSU game of the century 2011. And, and that would have been my senior year of high school. So I, I, I really wasn't like deep, deep into college football. I never had an allegiance. My dad, like sideways sort of watched Penn State when I was a kid, but was never super into it. Now he's the type of Georgia fan that made his own spiked shoulder pads. 
I will give them credit, <laughs> like handcrafted them, bought them, glued them together and wears them for big games. But uh, no, I, I just. Does, I does, you do, does you do the face paint too? Or is, uh, no, is, that, is that a I, step too far? I wouldn't be shocked if they got there. I mean, my, my sister is pregnant with their first child right now. And my dad is really trying to convince her to name it Trey so she can manifest a three-peat. Like, wow. <laughs> Georgia fandom, I have been around it uh, my entire life. Growing up in Georgia, there's no avoiding Georgia fandom. I have joked my entire life that Falcons fans are just Georgia fans too hungover to remember to take off the red and black because that's the part of Georgia I grew up in. Yeah. But uh, no, I was I was not afflicted with the bug except for one quick semester in the fall of 2012 when Georgia came four yards short of winning the national championship. And oh. I, like, I don't want to do this anymore. Why, why would <laughs> so quick, quick, quick aside, I have a real quick question because I think people in the South don't, don't I, I think it's interesting that your parents are from New York and that they had this thing for Penn state. What I think there's an interesting thing that I've learned over the years that like everyone I know that is from the, from the New York area, particularly in their heyday in the eighties, uh, that lived in that area in the 80s, they almost all called themselves Penn State fans. They almost all watched Penn State to some degree. I find that I, it's it's not you know it's not a, a hard you know line to follow, but it is like the, you know Happy Valley to Manhattan is a pretty long drive, <laughs> but yeah. it is the but it's the closest thing that that the largest city in the world basically the most important city in the world has to any tie to college football at all. It's almost as if trying to tie New York City to college football created a big mess. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he he watched Penn State uh, as a football fan, and he watched Duke basketball as a college basketball fan. You you just there you, he probably had a lot closer uh, college basketball avenues than Duke, but uh, that's kind of what I grew up around. Was uh, we we cared a lot more about college basketball than college football, which is funny because I am. I am probably never going to watch a college basketball game unless I have to cover it ever again. I am so <laughs> I don't dislike the sport. It just it, the timing of college basketball is so bad. I don't <laughs> I don't want to have to sit around and be invested in a sport specifically that time of year. Did uh did, did your parents uh imbue any New York uh fandoms on you or yes. were you yeah. free to were you free to become a self-loathing Falcons fan all all, no, no. all so, on your own? So specifically, it was the Yankees that was imbued on me. I, I grew up being able to pick any other team, but my my grandfather was the foreman of a factory two blocks from Yankee Stadium. I mean, I uh, I had no choice in the matter. I was watching 100, 120 Yankee games a year in Georgia. Like we were subscribing to the Yes Network on the most expensive TV package we could find for the sake of watching uh, the <laughs> mid-offs Yankees. Um, and it really teaches you how to be a prick. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yes it does <laughs> I, we can we can get into this later and why i'm more of a mlb agnostic uh now but i i ended up covering the yankees one summer during an internship and uh that'll that'll suck the the fandom <laughs> right out of you but i remember this moment that is just so deeply embedded somewhere in my frontal cortex or however memory works where i'm sitting in the yankees clubhouse and you guys i don't know how big baseball fans you are do you know ben gamel like a quad a journeyman he was making his mlb debut with the yankees that day and i was one of two or three people standing in a scrum interviewing him about hey you got your first hit how do you feel and i see chase headley walk behind me out of the corner of my eyes and i remember somebody was looking for him and i, I pat him and i say hey chase reggie's looking for you 
And then I go back to interviewing Ben Gamble. And then I'm like, you idiot. You don't, you're not on a first name basis with Reggie Jackson. You don't get to do that. <laughs> you do not get to say that. And that's just kind of the, the shine of the Yankees is that you can be around Reggie Jackson and you can see Derek Jeter walk through the clubhouse and you can have all this stuff. And you're like, yeah, this is normal. The most famous baseball players ever. They're right over there. That's normal. This is how this works. And I mean, growing up being a Yankees fan, it was a good era to be a Yankees fan, obviously, but the fun story, my, I was a young child for 96 uh, with the Yankees and Braves in the world series living in the Atlanta area and my mom and dad would play mind games with me where my dad would go to work and my mom would teach me how to do the chop and the chant just to mess with my dad. And then my dad would get home and see it and freak out and take me into the back room and teach me facts about Joe DiMaggio that I would have to parrot as a three-year-old. And we would go back and forth in this a weird twisted game and they still pick on each other for it to this day. So yeah, I mean, Yankees fandom was uh, was a big, big deal. So this was not the direction we wanted to talk about your coverage of the Tennessee Titans and the the work you're doing for the Tennessean. But uh, I'm curious if you think like you talk about the life being sucked out of you covering the Yankees on a baseball beat. I'm assuming some of that's also because the fan insanity and the minutia that they care about. Is that is that is that comparable to college football in the South, like Georgia fans on a Georgia beat covering Georgia versus Yankees on the Yankee beat? Is that a comparable thing you to to, uh, to make? There is absolutely nothing in my life that has ever come close to preparing me for dealing with college football fans in the state of Mississippi. I I can tell you that. I love them dearly. Some of my closest friends I made because they are college football fans in Mississippi. But I've covered the Philadelphia Phillies in a season where they were the worst team in baseball. Like, literally had the worst record and the number one pick in Philadelphia. And I came out of it thinking, yeah, I could handle that. Mississippi's different. And I, I love how different Mississippi is. And as somebody who lived there for four years, I can now crusade on behalf of guys. You just don't get it. You have to be there. You don't get to make fun of it. You weren't there. But I can also be like, yeah, I was there. I can make fun of it. That's that's crazy. It's absolutely <laughs> crazy. What you 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 were the Ole Miss beat writer uh, at the Clarion Ledger, and then and came up and came up to the Titans last year, I believe mid season. Yeah. Uh, how do you compare kind of that kind of beat writing in an intense college atmosphere to a pro atmosphere, and 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 what are, are there any sort of parallels out, outside of you know? the the enormous control freaks that that try to run both of the run both of those <laughs> programs not to get pithy but what i've been telling people for the last year is in college your sources can be your best friends in the world and they still won't tell you anything and in the nfl you can never meet somebody before and he will tell you something the first time you see him it is very much go from why won't they tell me this it seems so simple so why are you telling me this? What's your agenda? And I think that that's just the difference between the the secretive clandestine worlds of, of college sports and the much more open, professional, everybody knows they're getting paid avenues of pro sports. And I think both have their advantages. I, I have great memories of grinding to get the simplest of simple information covering college sports. And I have uh, frustrating memories of 
sitting on information thinking what do you do with this at, at the pro level i think it's such a tricky transition of i covered three sec teams and uh southern miss whatever conference they're in now uh they were in the conference usa at the time and i don't recall ever talking to a head coach more than three times a week in the nine years i covered college football now we're getting 15 minutes of mike rabel five days a week during training camp are they equivalent do do we need to have 15 minutes of mike rabel five days a week I don't know. Sometimes the questions get redundant. Sometimes we're doing it because it's perfunctory. And other times it's really illuminating to get that good of a relationship with a coach and get to know how he talks and get to know everything about the inner workings of a team. But I mean, my last few years in Oxford, Lane Kiffin talked Mondays and Lane Kiffin talked game days. And sometimes we'd get him six minutes, seven minutes. If he's not in a talking mood, let him go move on, go talk to the other people, go figure out what's really going on. Whereas it's it seems much more structured with the NFL. And I think that's because there is a collective bargaining agreement that, that there are actual rules and structures put in place about how to cover practices and cover games. And I, I like that those rules are there. But yeah, the, the big transition is just simply the time you have available. You, you figure out in college how to make the best of coverage with 15 minutes worth of interviews at a podium and 10 minutes of observation of a practice. You really have to be creative and go do your own thing. And that's why COVID was just brutal covering college football. Yeah. But in the NFL, you have this gigantic wealth of availability, but guess what? So does everybody else. So it, and, it's tricky. And they're, and they're, and they're well-trained at that point, which of course yeah. they are not in college. So you said there's positives to both sides. And I'm curious because I think part of the, and this is a, maybe a, a larger philosophical question about college access. I think they do themselves a disservice. I think most of the information these coaches think that they're, you know, like it's, oh, it's going to cost us two wins this year. And like, really, it means absolutely nothing. And, but, but what it leads to is th these massive scandals because they have complete authority and they run their little feudal dictatorships like, like, you know, fascists. And I'm curious if you think, what, what are the positives to the, to the general, media relationship on the college beat because i i think almost all of them are are negative the the players would be better off if they had the freedom to speak and tell their stories i think the fans would be better off and more knowledgeable i don't think we'd have some of the problems that take place on campuses that get covered up across the country give me the positives of the style of of media control that college football coaches in particular the sec has i would say that the one positive if i have to come up with one is the good reporters, the good storytellers, are forced to be a lot more creative. And so the cream of the crop, and if you guys want me to spend 15 minutes just listing who I think is good on every college beat in the SEC, I can. But the people who do a good job do such a good job because they're forced to do stuff that is beyond, hey, this is what receiver two looked like on the fourth day of camp. Like when you have access you use access. And I think that's great. I think it is fantastic that you can spend an entire training camp watching every single second of practice and telling fans exactly what's going to happen on the field. But if you are the type of reporter who is inclined to want to go deeper, to want to be able to tell these gut-wrenching, heart-rending stories, you're going to have a lot more time and a lot more freedom to go do that 
because you're not going to be able to sit down with every player and walk into an open locker room and get the same thing that everybody else on the beat is getting. There is much more personal things happening, I feel like, on a college beat. And I also just feel like the pressure is lower when when everybody knows, yeah, you get Nick Saban twice a week at most. You You don't need to He's not on Twitter. You don't need to wait on beta breath for everything he's going to say. Write about him twice a week and then spend the rest of the week writing about the game. I think from a content management perspective, it is a little bit easier to go out and do the stuff you want to do instead of being stuck behind a computer uh, six days a week, just grinding out tape if you are a content producer more than a newspaper writer. What What did you coming into uh, i mean you'd obviously read a a bunch of nfl coverage you had opinions you were not uh you're not a rookie coming into this job what did you come into an nfl beat writing gig wanting to do and and kind of thinking okay here's how i want to approach this that's a that's an interesting way to think about it i i i did a pretty good job of removing myself from the equation when you start midseason. It, it wasn't my first time starting somewhere midseason. I started the Ole Miss beat midseason. I started the LSU beat midseason. I, I've done internships in baseball where I started midseason, and I kind of learned through that. You just got to go, man. <laughs> like you don't really have time to figure out what you want. You got to figure out how to do this. But as I've kind of had time to settle in, I feel like my strengths as a reporter tend to be on the analytical side and on the out of the box side. And I kind of wanted to settle in one, make the coverage feel a little bit more fun. I feel like NFL coverage can get stale. I, I think that we kind of forget that we like football when we're writing about football. And I am uh, a very unicorny rare person in sports media and that I'm not a cynic. I, I kind of just like sports and I like what? liking sports. I, I'm sorry if that offends every person who has a quill and a typewriter, but I just <laughs> sports are rad, and I, I want to imbue my coverage with the feeling that sports are rad. Um, there's there's a childlike wonder I, I can remember, and you guys can remember sitting down watching NFL games or college football or Major League Baseball or whatever sport it was that you were obsessed with as a kid. And like I don't know about if this ever happened to you guys, but to go back to when I was a kid, I was sixth seventh eighth ninth grade when i watched a game that i was so overwhelmed by i just went on a computer and started writing like i'll, I'll give a titans example i remember the game rob baronis hit the was it 59 60 yarder to beat the colts in 06 i just had to write like i just went into the back room of the computer and pulled up lou gehrig's luckiest man speech and essentially wrote a parody of it from the perspective of rob baronis like, I was just like, I got to gotta do something creative about this. I got to have fun. I had too much fun watching this game. I want the fun to continue. And, and that's kind of what I aim to do. I don't know if I'm good enough yet to be able to have that kind of freewheeling fun in NFL coverage. But I don't know. It, it's not to criticize my peers. I, I love what my peers do. I've obviously been reading sports writing and NFL writing my entire life. But I think what I would like to do is have fun with it. Like what we do isn't serious. I, I don't want to undermine the the objective of the sports media podcast by saying sports media is not relevant, but <laughs> sports media 
is an escape. It is superfluous. It is something that we do to entertain people. There's hard news to it and there's important stuff to it. And I think that the day-to-day grind of informing people on stuff that they care about is a noble pursuit. But at the end of the day, we're also toilet paper salesmen. We are making disposable content. We are doing things that will be consumed one time and people are glad they have it. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but like it's meant to be read once and then people move on. And I think if you're trying to entertain somebody one time you're not making casablanca you're not writing the dark side of the moon you're you're doing something that's going to inform people and then they're going to move on with their life i want to try and do that with some fun you have to be um i I, i'm going to i'm kind of going back to oxford for a second to get get back to to nashville um because there's a lot of the the men and women you're talking about who do a great job on the college beat by the way a lot of them have come through oxford uh it's so i'd I'd like to know number one the difference between you you know you're trying to keep it light you're trying to keep it fun i think it's admirable that you have a vision of what you want to accomplish and i think that is absolutely what we need and i think titans fans are lucky to have that um what part of oxford and the culture of writing has informed you what did you learn about being in that location and then moving from college to pro? I still would like to go a little deeper on how different are the Titans fans uh, okay. in, ter- in terms of how they consume the content. Uh, a, a, you know, a, a recent study said that being a Titans fan is one of the most stressful, <laughs> one of the most stressful fandoms based on a bunch of different metrics, fourth downs, close games, losses, etc. Um I'm just curious, how did Oxford inform you? And then how different has the fan interaction and engagement been on the NFL level and and, and specifically Titans fans? Okay, so first answer, how did Oxford inform me? Have you guys ever been to Oxford, Mississippi? Yep, many times. Oxford is 24 miles from the nearest interstate. I, I lived there from 2018 until 2022, which meant a solid year and a half, two years of my life was spent in Oxford during the COVID pandemic. And when you live 24 miles by car from the nearest interstate in a small college town, you get this feeling that it's very claustrophobic because it's really hard or whatever the opposite of claustrophobic is. You're, you're isolated. You're, you're completely isolated. And I think that isolation breeds a deep affection, obviously, for the school and for the athletics program. And I think the people who root for Ole Miss are so deeply invested because it's what they have. I mean, you can get to Memphis in 90 minutes if you want to. You can get to Jackson in two and a half hours. But like, if you're in Oxford, chances are you're in Oxford. Like, you're not there by accident. And so there's this (laughs) deep, deep loyalty. And you're writing for people who aren't just Ole Miss fans because, hey, they built a stadium here. They're Ole Miss fans because their dads and granddads and great-granddads and their moms and grandmoms and great-grandmoms went to Ole Miss, loved Ole Miss, loved that program. So I think when you're writing for a fan base where there's no such thing as a fair-weather fan, there's no such thing as a bandwagon fan, you really learn to have a good eye for what matters to people. Because, look, when I covered LSU or when I covered Georgia, it was a lot easier to write a story that had a headline along the lines of, look, Coach X says something crazy, here's video. And you'll get that on Facebook and you'll get a ton of page views and your bosses will be happy. When you're covering Ole Miss, especially during the Matt Luke era, when 
interest was low and the only people who were caring were true diehards, you really learn this is what sports fans want. And I think that gets lost sometimes when you're covering big, gigantic beats. It gets hard to figure out what is the nails, what are the screws of what people actually care about. And I think that these smaller SEC beats really do distill you into why do people care about their team? How do you tell people what they want to know about the team? And how do you figure out who to talk to to know what people care about? Now, you talk about the difference between that and covering the Titans. I have one asterisk that I'll put here. I have not been caught in the crossfire of Titans fandom quite that much yet. I, I would say that give, give it a my, minute. <laughs> my coming on the beat kind of directly coincided with the most gigantic social media crash in world history. And I have kind of just been lost. Um, that's not to say I'm not uh, encouraging it or incurring it. If people have things to say to me, please say them to me. And I'll get a couple of emails a week um, saying this or that. But I'll say, here's the big difference between Ole Miss fans and Titans fans. Nobody in the state of Tennessee has tried to get me fired yet. Um, I can tell you that not just Ole Miss fans, but Mississippi State fans, Jackson State fans, and Southern Miss fans all tried to get me fired at various points in Mississippi for the way I covered the four programs. Um, and that's not to say that that's a bad thing. That is just simply the passion is there. And the, hey, if the newspaper says this about us, that's not cool. I, I don't think that... Um, the, the wealth of coverage that exists about the NFL means that people probably aren't getting as aggravated about one source of coverage as they would be at a place, especially like Southern Miss or Jackson State, that's only got two or three people covering them. But even in Oxford and Starkville, where you have five, six, seven outlets, the the, the spread is still not diffused enough for for people to, to try and pull the plug on you. I do enjoy the Titans fandom. I, I think that it's pretty transferable to the Ole Miss fandom and that there is a lot of self-hatred built into it. And I am <laughs> kind of used to this idea of people aren't expecting the best. They're hoping for the best yeah. and expecting the worst. And I think that's uh, that's kind of my wheelhouse. I'm, I'm pretty used to that after four years in Oxford. But no, I, I think that um, after being an AP top 25 voter in the college basketball poll for three years and living in constant fear that I've made a mistake and left a fan base off, I, I have no more fears yeah. um, after getting <laughs> bombed by Arkansas fans or whatever. All I heard is that you went undefeated in Mississippi. You went 4-0 is what I heard. Um, not not 0-4, 4-0. <laughs> um, who is easier to get a quality answer out of, Lane Kiffin or Mike Vrabel? Oh, Lane Kiffin. And I'll tell you why. Lane Kiffin is tactical. When Lane Kiffin wants to say something, you don't even need to ask the question. Like, Lane Kiffin knows how to use the media. And Vrabel does as well. I'm not going to say Vrabel doesn't know how to use the media. But Lane Kiffin is maybe the most introverted person I've ever covered. And I say that not as a misspeak. He's a very closed-off person. Yeah. But when he knows he has something to gain by putting on the Lane Kiffin persona, he uses it expertly. So if he comes into a press conference knowing that he needs to say something about NIL, he could hear any question and find a way to make it into what he needs to say. And he'll say it, and you're going to get a great quote out of it. Uh, whereas Rabel, he doesn't really need 
to gain too much because he's not dealing with boosters. He's not dealing with recruits. He is not actively trying to sell the Titans on a day-to-day basis. I mean, there is didn't didn't try to take the, he didn't try to take the head coaching job for the Colts. You know, there is a there is a salesmanship aspect to being a coach on the podium anytime you're an NFL head coach, but there is a lot less. There's a lot more to lose and a lot less to gain by being good on press conference day if you're an NFL head coach than if you're a, a college head coach. And and Lane Lane is a master of that. Um, he is closed off when he needs to be because he's a Saban disciple just like the rest of them. And being closed off is part of the appeal of the Saban coaching tree a lot of the times. But he does have that unique ability to go on a four-day Twitter rant about paying his SEC fines and pennies and not being able to correctly do the math of how many pennies he would need and give us content to cover it for three days. Like there is, there is a uniqueness to that. Lamestream brought to you by Jaspers. Just keeping you on your toes, big guy. Just keep Just, it on your toes. I appreciate that. Gotta stay sharp. <laughs> uh, Jaspers, by the way, awesome. Just still awesome. They've been awesome since the beginning. Uh, they continue to evolve. They will babysit your children, although that's not a legal declaration by me. I'm just saying that they'll babysit your children, uh, which, of course, as expected from the next evolution of the sports bar, is also the next evolution of the babysitter. You go with your wife or your husband or your significant other or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, and you sit down and you let the kids go into the game room. You eat a very nice meal. It's not going to break the bank. You're not going to pay for parking. It's centrally located. It's very well lit. (laughs) You go in there. And you let the kids play games for free. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. Amazing. The uh, it was nothing that you would expect less from the next evolution of the sports bar. But I have to say, I'm very glad that many of you have not taken Braden's advice and let your kids loose on the news uh, on the uh, game room by themselves. Thank you for that. Don't take Braden's advice here. My my, there plenty of great, wonderful children out there are supervised. Capable supervised we could see them we made we they were not without outside of eye shot you the know bar what I mean? is a giant open room essentially you could see them from like a hundred feet away well no the game room's got a little bit of a there's a little bit more private if you wanted to rent it as a private space by the way you could probably do that i guess i don't know um go to jasper's i i think what's what's no we could there was line of sight at all times i could see them playing air hockey from our bar top while we were having a nice, relaxing meal, they were in there having a great time. And we, we could technically watch them, I guess. So technically, technically. we were watching them. Te- technically. Jaspers, where sometimes you'll find Braden's kids just running around by themselves. I, I'm glad you went that direction, though. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm glad you went that direction, though, because I thought you were about to say something like negative about our sponsor. And I was going to be like, Steve, that's not how sponsorships work. I think. No, no, no. Uh, no. I have nothing. I, I, I have nothing bad to say about Jaspers. Well, no, I, I have, thought. I, thought I have gonna... comments about your parenting. But that's that's another matter. That's fair. I thought you were going to challenge them to like, what's the next thing they could do? Like, no, what's no, no. the what's the next thing Jaspers could do? And I thought you were going to challenge them to, you know, like lifeguard or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the next evolution is past babysitting and serving you food and giving you great specials and giving you free parking that's centrally located right off the interstate, right in downtown by West End for a great lunch or, or or afternoon or happy hour or brunch or dinner. I don't know what the next step would be. Like, I don't know. You tell me. 
I don't know where health- you're going. I don't know where you're going here, big guy. F- fixing the healthcare system, you know, making sure that we have affordable housing. <laughs> I don't know. Jasper's runs for mayor. <laughs> I guarantee you that dog will get some votes if it ran. <laughs> I guarantee you it would too. I'd Go vote for Jasper's. It. I'd vote for it. Coming in, you're getting a full. Uh, you're getting a full training camp here. You're yeah. getting ready for the season. Uh, what do you want to do with the beat here? That uh, that maybe getting dropped in mid-season, you didn't get a chance to last year. Uh, just to get into the nitty gritty, I don't know how much your listeners actually care about the cycle of how newspapers work. I didn't have time to plan. Oh, oh, this is oh, the, this is this is this is the audience for that okay. yep. kind of answer. Yeah. Yep. I, I genuinely <laughs> last year did not have time to plan more than two weeks in advance. I I got here whatever week that was Malik Willis's first start against the Texans was my first game on the Titans beat. And I had, I've saved all of my notebooks. I could probably find it if I go through my desk over there, but I had a week by week plan of, well, this is the feature I want to write against the Bengals. And this is the feature I want to write against the Eagles. And this is the feature I want to write against the Texans the next time the Jags game. And, And I, had this mapped out the same way I'd have it mapped out in college of every week. If they're playing Auburn, here's your Auburn story. If they're playing this team, here's your that team story. I, I, I'm pretty meticulous about having the big thing I want to say every week planned out. And I got to the NFL and I was drowning. And I'm not saying that as like, I didn't know what was going on. I was just overwhelmed by the deluge of availability the deluge of option and not to let my personal life bleed into the answer but i was also planning a wedding and moving cities and doing a lot of stuff at that time that was uh gosh don't don't change jobs and move cities and plan a wedding at the exact same time it is uh it's a lot to handle so now just kind of being able to settle in and uh have a plan i'm i'm working on my stories for september as we speak like today's not a training camp day so i'm gonna get off this call here and write one quick feature for friday and then i'm gonna spend the next six hours after that writing stories and reporting stories and making calls for september and just having the luxury to do that and so i'm not racing and racing and racing like i'm not going to sit here and demean my own work but there is one story i wrote last year that is such a significant disappointment to me because i (laughs) wanted to give myself as much time to write something that was going to be my big hey i've only been here a month check out how good i am story (laughs) and it stunk like it just wasn't good and that is because i wasn't fully sourced yet and shoot i'm not fully sourced yet now i mean i don't have all the people i want to be able to talk to but at that point i'd been here a month and i'm cold calling agents and i'm cold calling random people and i'm facebook messaging random people and i'm trying my hardest to get people to talk to me and just nobody knows who the heck i am so like i'm not getting this ability and anyone who's talking to me is doing it as a favor and so i'm i'm stuck in this really unfortunate mid zone where like I have these ideas and I have no uh, capacity to execute them. And so what I'm looking forward to for a full year is slowing it down uh, to, to use the football metaphor, adjusting to the speed of the game. It's not just an adjustment for the players. It's an adjustment for me and the the lucky few who, who choose to make the jump from college to the pros because things are moving a lot faster 
when when the eyes are on you in the pros. Well, uh, Cab, do you got anything else? I'm, I've got one last question before we let you go. I, I, have, I have I have a very important topic here. All right. I just want to let you guys know my wife is sitting like two feet to my left and she is, you know, flinching because I think she knows what the question is, too. Oh, you're going to steal my question, Kev? Uh You describe yourself as a sitcom nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I and I need and I need to know what makes it what makes a good sitcom. I'm fascinated. Uh, I'm fascinated by sitcoms because it, sitcoms are the are, are the are the the television form people can ha- can be the most opinionated about yeah. uh they're, they're, they're the most easily dismissed mm-hmm. i mean m- most most dramas like you tell if you tell somebody oh i'm a fan of x or y or so forth they're like oh okay that's that's fine i mean they don't like look down the nose at you but like there's a divide on sitcoms like you tell somebody like oh I, oh i was watching big bang theory re- reruns and and somebody will look at you like you know like oh do you you know do you you beat your children as well. I mean, you know, like like I love friends. You're you're, you're a horrible person. I loved friends as a high schooler. Yes, that's my age. Uh, I don't think it holds up at all. How about that for a take? So is is this a video so, podcast or is this? We're we're gonna we're gonna clip some we're gonna clip some video. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have been able to notice this poster up in the. That's Jeremy Barry. That is uh, from the Good Place, and just off screen, I was able to give my commemorative mash magazine my commemorative cheers excellent magazine. i have my props <laughs> to, to prove my bona fides um, i have truly never watched a full true drama in my life like sopranos no the wire no game of thrones no mad men breaking bad no no i've seen i've seen buffy that's probably the most dramatic oh show my god I've ever watched <laughs> <laughs> I is it, it you had is it me up to this? I was, thing, I was or is so impressed. Thing. What, what was that? Is it the hour long thing or is it the drama thing? I just want to freaking laugh, you guys. So if you name a sitcom from let's say 1980 to today, I'm gonna handicap it 80% chance I've seen every episode. And I'll we, we can play the game. I'm not gonna four out of five. I'm I'm not gonna say I'm right every time, but but let's play the game. Shrinking. Okay. Shrinking, seen every episode. Big Bill Lawrence guy grew up idolizing Jason Siegel because of uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall and because of Freaks and Geeks, which is in my pantheon of best ever. Um, Shrinking took two episodes to get going, but by the time you get to episode seven and eight, I think they are up there in the top five uh, sitcom episodes of this year with uh, the other two had some great episodes. If you guys haven't caught up on HBO Max or whatever Max is called now, Um, there was a show called Extraordinary based out of England that is on Hulu that you can watch that's got some great episodes from this year. Um, yeah, Shrinking's been really, really high up there. Uh, if you guys want to scratch that scrubs itch, uh, Shrinking's got it for you. What else we got? Harrison Ford just throwing heat Yo, every, he's time he's, every time he's every time he's whistle whistle. Anyway, go ahead, Kev. <laughs> um, all right, let's go. Uh, let's go a little older here. Uh, Family Ties. Family Ties. I watched the first three seasons of Family Ties my sophomore year at college. I had just finished binging through Cheers and Frasier and wanted to s- sit on an 80s, 90s kind of vibe. And uh, something caught up to me. It was probably. How did you? Fi- how did you? F- where did you find it? It was on Netflix at the time. And I was okay. re- I was really impressed by uh, all five of the performances from the leads. I think that it's as good of a depiction of a believable family as you're going to get from that era. I, I think there are 
much more believable families that have come out in the single camera era. But if you're looking for a four cam show that you actually want to believe these people are related and not just uh, vessels for making jokes a la the TGIF lineup, I think Family Ties is a pretty darn good bet. Um, okay. How about uh, Big Bad Beetleborgs? Big Bad Beetleborgs. I think that's going to be one of the five in my 80% that I have not watched. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Baby Talk. Baby Talk. I've heard of that one. What's Baby Talk? I have no idea. Uh, City Guys. What are you just you're reading? Just like tra- the top, you're just trying to cop rock. You're going in alphabetical order trying to stop. No, 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 I know. What, I know what cop rock is. Cop okay. Rock is okay. Cop uh, rock but, is a musical cop procedural. Oh, wow. Okay. Good call. Uh, one, of, one, one of one of the great disasters of all time. Oh, bug, sure. Bug juice. Bug juice. I, I can I can improvise what bug juice might be about <laughs> if you guys want me to. Nope. But, no. Uh, <laughs> S- Sweet Valley High. I, I've seen an episode or two of Sweet Valley High. No, you have not. <laughs> I feel like I have. It's, it's just it, like. It, it, I feel like that's like Degrassi. Isn't it Canadian? I think oh, it might God, be. God, I hate both but, of you. Um, no, but. But yeah, um, if, we're, if we're if we're not just reading the no no it's the forgotten it's the worst sitcoms of all time or whatever you're reading it's the forgotten sitcoms of the 90s I wanted to see if you'd forgotten them or not <laughs> no I mean there's a difference between forgetting and not knowing That's I think true. we do have to to draw that distinction but no so, I, I grew up obsessing over um, Friends and Seinfeld and Everybody Loves Raymond and those were kind of my gateway drugs and then yeah. uh, all right. around all right, so real quick so go ahead. Rebooting Night Court. Good idea or bad idea? Better than you'd think. It's come off okay. Like it is a solid okay of a show. Uh, just took a while. Given a shout out weirdly to Wendy Malick this year, who has guest starred on like four different great shows, including Night Court. She's been in Shrinking. She's been in Night Court. She's been in Young Sheldon. She is just working her butt off this year. So yeah, shout out Wendy. I'd like to know if when, when Ted Lasso evolved into a different show and became a drama, did you keep watching it? I did. I, I I don't think it ever stopped being a comedy and I'll be somebody who's softer on season three of Ted Lasso than most. I don't think that it became a different show so much as it became more of a show. Like it's just more show than it was. And I'm not going to sit here and pull the wool over your eyes and say, it's just as good. Season one of Ted Lasso is a masterpiece. Season yeah. two of Ted Lasso. Are you guys alternative rock fans? Sure. I oh, yeah. I, I would say Ted Lasso season one is, is this it by the strokes? Ted Lasso season two is angles by the strokes. Ted Lasso season three is the new abnormal by the strokes. Okay. It's the first album, their middle <laughs> album, their last album. They skipped all the connective tissue that made it make sense to jump from album one to album four to album six, but three very distinct vibes. Yep. Uh, all right. We'll let you go. You've been very gracious with your time and you can come back anytime and we can have an entire conversation about just television. So we'll do that uh, sometime in the future. But I think your, your Tennessee Titans fans should be excited about the coverage and the way you think through things. And I think uh, the, the market is better off for you being here. Uh, last but not least, and Steve and I are going to talk about this after you leave. Uh, but Adam Vingan, who has been in the market for a long time, he and I and Steve have had a very long uh, ongoing conversation about whether or not you should call people coach. Where do you stand on this issue? I have truly no opinion. And I am telling you that because I am supposed to truly have no opinion. I have never commented publicly on this and I never will. Sorry, you guys don't get the scoop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Steve and I will explain all of that in just a minute. Nick, thank you so much for hanging out with us, dude. We appreciate it. Happy to be here, guys. 
that was Nick Suss. Really fun, really fun and interesting guy. He's had a really fascinating career and kind of path to get here. We all have very interesting relationships with sports. And if we're going to get into this business, and his is really unique, honestly, uh, and very interesting to be a non-college football fan and go to Georgia and now, <laughs> and now have Georgia win all the championships. But to move from a college beat onto a pro beat. And it's just a fascinating career. I think he's really smart. I think he's a good writer. And I think Titans fans are better off for it. Very, very strong hire by the Tennessean. Good job, Tennessean. Good job, Tennessean. I, I mean, I, what, what more do you want me to say? I'm glad they hired somebody good for the Titans beat. <laughs> I, I understand asking you to say something positive. Oh, look, I'll say positive about stuff Ken- about Tennessean <laughs> all the time. I do frequently. Just I'll say the, their, their parent company is hot garbage, but I mean, yes, yeah. The, but the, the, but, but, but the, a lot of those folks, including Nick and the and the beat writers over in sports, uh, are are a lot of times paddling upstream, you know, really really hard and without much help from their from from Gannett. They, so. they are they're a very good collection of reporters in that building and editors. So, sure. Great. Uh, which, of course, will not include Drake Hills. Yeah. I, so Drake Hills, who was the who's a Nashville SC uh, uh, beat reporter, just left. Um, and I, that that one hurts a little bit. And it hurts for this reason. Um, Drake, Drake did a good job on the beat. He did a lot of he did a lot of sort of day to day stuff on there that a that a good beat writer does that p- puts more information into the ecosystem. Because he was at the Tennessean, and you see this, you see this from time to time. Uh, He's quitting in, the in business in different things, <laughs> in different things uh, in sports and non sports or whatever else. Because of the, because of the Tennessean's position uh, in the market, they get a level of deference. Uh, and access that the other places don't get, and I, I, I fear what the loss of that access means for Nashville SC news. Um, they're going to try to cover it. It looks like with Gentry Estes writing columns off of games, and I mean that's, I mean another month football season is going to start here, and. Gentry is going to be Gentry's going to be swamped with, with with Titans and U and and Vanderbilt and UT and, and and all sorts of other stuff. I mean that's not that that's a tent that's not tenable right now. And you can't kind of like throw interns at a beat position and expect to get the same results. You're not going to get them. I mean I heard from from some folks that you know the internal metrics on the Tennesseans uh, uh, Nashville SC coverage were not great. Uh, and so what I what I fear is that the bean counters over there are going to go, well, you weren't getting enough clicks. And so therefore, we're going to eliminate the the beat of a major sport here in town. Professional, uh, a professional sport. Right. You know, I, I hope that does not happen. I, I, I hope I am wrong about that. I would love to be I would love to be wrong about that. It, it, but if but that is that that is that is not what I think is going to happen. Yeah, there's two stories. Obviously, Drake, as a personality and a reporter, good quality guy, good quality reporter, losing him is one story. The second story is you've got the U.S. men's national team center back and occasional captain playing on the professional team that is in the market with the league's MVP. 
who just signed a $6 million DP striker, who's already scored in the 99th minute to win them a, a game that caused the fans to riot on the field. I don't know, Steve, anything in there sound interesting to write about? <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> so it's like, there's a lot going on to talk about. And I sure hope they, they fill that, that role. Okay. All right. So I want to get to sensitive teams, just teams out there that are so sensitive and Nick does not want to talk about this, and I understand that Nick Suss does not want to talk about this, so we're going to talk about it for him in just a second. But it also dovetails with a story that happened this week where Kevin Brown, a broadcaster for the Baltimore Orioles, um, started his broadcast with facts that also were included in the production of the broadcast because there was a graphic that came up with what On he said. On the screen. On the screen, which means basically everyone in the entire production crew Multiple a, people complicit in this in this endeavor here. And, and when you say the complicit, that almost sounds guilty. This is I would call this doing your job. Right. So here is what a a broadcast, because, again, the broadcast owned by the Orioles. So we're going to use this as a jumping off point into Nick's story and then into who does this well in the market, who is not sensitive in the market. And here is what Kevin Brown had the audacity to say on a Baltimore Orioles pregame broadcast last week that got him suspended indefinitely from the broadcast crew. This has been maybe the toughest ballpark to play in, but the Orioles have a chance to do something special today. They've already clinched at least a split in the series, winning two of the first three, and they could pick up a series win behind Tyler Wells today. It's been a minute. The Orioles split a two-gamer with the Rays in June. They had lost their last 15 series here at Tropicana Field. You have to go back to when our now colleague Brad Brock picked up the win in the series finale June 25th, 2017, the last time the Orioles won a series here at St. Pete. Already got three and two of the chop this year after winning three of 18. The previous three years combined. It is a stark difference, Ben, and it is not a bad Rays team. It's not like all of a sudden the Rays uh, became slouches in the American League East. They've led this division every day, but now two, and the Orioles once again are back alone in first place. So when I heard that clip, I saw this on Awful Announcing, I think, when it happened. When I heard that clip, I replayed it twice. Oh, I was three but, times. Because <laughs> I was waiting I know. for... I was waiting for, I was like, I was like, you know, if this had been like the red situation from a couple of years ago, it's like, it's like, well, it, it, where is like the, uh, where, where's like the racial overtones uh, coming in here or where are, you know, where is the like blatantly sexist comment or where's, where's the slur? Where's the slur? <laughs> and and, the, there, was and no, there was nothing. And apparently the only slur in there was that the Orioles used to not be good. No, no. Uh, the the slur in there was the O fifteen and one record in Tropicana, which was on the screen when you heard that clip. He all he does is state the facts. He states the facts, and they suspend him. And what what I love about this is the free Kevin Brown phenomenon has now taken place. Gary Cohen up on on uh, SNY. You got uh, and, uh, Michael K on Yes Network. You got Al Michaels. Every single person is now that broadcast major league baseball games for their local, you know, regional distributor are all throwing shots at the Orioles. I think it's great. So what's the what's the lesson here kids? The lesson is you can either have something that your home broadcaster and your home fans see and you let it go 
or <laughs> you can have every broadcaster in the nation piling on and repeating the fact that you uh, that a you were over 15 and one in, in in Tropicana and B that you're idiots for not uh for for firing or, or suspending Kevin yeah, Brown yeah. over it yeah I mean yeah. which which one of these would you choose yeah. again that there was a free Kevin Brown chant at Camden Yards apparently on <laughs> on, on Wednesday night at the game uh and again this is all John Angelos who is the owner who by the way just as a side note here, is using Nashville to get a better deal from Baltimore. <laughs> well done, sir. Yeah, I knew that well, was for you. Well done. That one was for you, big guy. Uh, okay, so let's get into the Nick Suss thing. So this is, again, I, I'm sorry, Nick, if you're listening to this, but I have to bring it up. I have to tell the story so that people know. Um, so I, I'm going to try to trace this all the way back and try to give you the, the layout here. Just bullet points. Um, so he was writing for the Clarion Ledger, which is the newspaper of record that covers, uh, as he said, um, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Southern Miss, and Jackson State, which was, of course, where Deion Sanders started as a head coach. And this was uh, SWAC Media Days two years ago. I think 2021 was the SWAC Media Days. Uh, Rashad Milligan, a reporter for the Clarion Ledger who covers the team, wrote a story about one of the players on that team appearing in court on a charge of domestic assault. So <laughs> that's just like a, a person doing their job, right? So right. then Dion uh, apparently tries to ban the Clarion Ledger from SWAC Media Days. But because Ole Miss is on the same day, Nick cannot be there. He has to be with with Media Days for the SEC. So he jumps on a Zoom call to be on a Zoom interview with Dion Sanders doing SWAC Media Days for, for Jackson State. Um, in the question, he, he calls Dion Gasp by his first name, Dion. <laughs> and Dion, in the process of after Nick asks his question, he backs up and he says, "Wait, hold on a second. Let's go back a minute here. Y you did you you call me coach? That's disrespectful. Would you call Nick Saban, Nick? And <laughs> and ironically, Nick says, "Yes, I would." <laughs> right, right to Dion's face, and and so Dion he kind of like takes offense to it and you know uh kind of walks it off it devolves from there yeah. yeah it devolves from there and he walks off now what's interesting is he actually come he he sends a tweet out with like the link and he says basically that he's going to pray for all of us because what nick has done is so disrespectful he's going to pray for all of us then there's a follow up by the spun which is a a, a media organization that does an interview with Dion a year later. So 2022 SWAC media days, he follows it up with, and Dion now I'm paraphrasing here, but basically Dion's like, yeah, that was just a, you know, a guy who was being ex extremely disrespectful. He obviously didn't know that me and the greatest coach of all time, Nick Saban, were doing a commercial for Aflac where he calls me coach prime in the commercial. So it just made him look like an idiot. That, that part was a quote. <laughs> and, and I just started laughing. I'm like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> this is coach prime and this is it is it should not be a shock to anyone that part of the reason that the Pac-12 has been destroyed in the matter of a couple of weeks it it should not be surprised that coach prime Mr. Dion is in the middle of all of it. Uh, Dion does what Dion wants to do. Dion is one of one. When you can play a football game an NFL football game on the same day as a major league baseball game. And you are that good of an athlete. You are probably not told no at any point during your life. And I understand yeah. that Dion, and I understand that Dion is one of one. I get it, but 
it's absolutely absurd how he treated Nick. He won't ever say it, but I'll say it. It's disrespectful on Dion's part. It's insulting on Dion's part. It's thin-skinned on Dion's part. It is absolutely soft for the Orioles. It is soft for Dion to have done what they have done. And I don't understand why professional and highly paid coaches and organizations act the way they do sometimes. I do not understand it, Steve. The the, the thing of it is, is like, you know Dion knows he's doing it. He's doing a bit. You know that Dion knows that this wasn't disrespectful, but he's all in on it now. Yep. And and he's all in on it in order to, uh, in order to just, I, I don't know, not a, not answer questions or, or or whatever else. And and Dion is Dion is a very smart guy. He knows exactly what he's doing. And and it, it, the 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 thing in, in the in the whole thing with Nick. I, I was just amazed at how dumb the whole thing felt. And it is it is dumb on its face. There's no other way to there's no other way to take it. There is no way that calling someone by their name is disrespectful. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> how how dare you sir i i, I wish dare you i wish people could get Braden right once in a while I, I'd, I'd appreciate <laughs> being called by my name um Brandon. yeah exactly uh he, here's the thing what's what would be worse dion being so thin-skinned and 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 like sensitive that he that he's actually pissed off that he wasn't called coach or coach prime or whatever the hell he actually wanted to be called or that it's an act uh, wouldn't it make you more i can't tell which one's <laughs> which one's worse I mean, I, he know he knows it's a, he, he knows he knows what the stick is. He's I don't he think is, he does. I don't I don't I disagree with you. I I mean, okay, take it back. I think there's more reality in his head to this persona that he has created that it's not that he can't afford to not be coach prime. Like I but but like but some of that is not um what's the word I'm looking for? Like it's authentic. Like it's genuine. It's not an act. He knows that the reason he's got a power five head coaching job with zero coaching experience and the reason he pissed off everybody in the swack when he was down there who actually were trying to do good things to help young black people at HBCU universities. And then the most successful, you know, this guy that comes in at Jackson state just comes for two, two years and helps himself to another job. I, I think he, I think he knows, but I don't think he, is it becoming, maybe he's become the caricature and he doesn't know how to not be the caricature anymore. Does that make sense? Uh, maybe i don't know i think he knows uh, I, I think he knows exactly i think he knows exactly what he's doing i think prime i think prime has never been told no in his entire life <laughs> <laughs> do you think well uh, so, so here's the here's the question do you think he call he self-referentially calls himself prime to other people in the third person i hope so <laughs> prime had a tough day out there prime, prime. Prime left a few points on the field. <laughs> prime, the prime, prime's got to be a better coach out there. Yeah, prime, prime's got to go watch some tape a on prime. After, after the first loss, wouldn't you love it if he came up to the podium and he's just, just like prime the whole time? Prime's got to be better. Everybody's got to be uh, better. Quarterback's got to be better. Line's got to be better. Defense got to be better. Prime's got to be better. That would be optimal prime. How about that? <laughs> I'm such a fucking dad. All that's, right, that's terrible. Uh, that's not even. That's not even the I name know. of him. I, I that was the. Uh, Never mind. That's what makes it a dad joke. Anyway, 
All right. So that brings us back to Nashville, because here's the deal. If you remember the incident that we're talking about, then now, you know, that's your Titans beat reporter for the Tennessean, which I'm assuming <laughs> Nick hates. So, so sorry, Nick. Yeah. Sorry, Nick. Um, so that we're going to talk Manziel doc. I just got one quick comment about the Manziel documentary in just a second. But that brings us to quickly who is not soft in the Nashville market. I'm not going to talk about all the other programs and teams and people. I'm just going to talk about the ones who do it right. Number one, the Tennessee Titans. They're too big to fail. They don't give don't a shit. care. They, they don't do, give a shit. They do not care. They don't care what you write. They don't care what you say. They don't care how you act. They they let you talk to all the players without anybody looking over their shoulder. They don't give a shit. <laughs> the, the NFL is so big, they don't care. If you want to be big, act big. The Tennessee Titans act big. That's it. That's it. Yep. Tennessee Titans. Now, I will also say a little shout out here to the Belmont Bruins, Greg Sage, Casey Alexander, and the whole crew over there. I think they are among the most self-aware and most respectful organizations I've ever been around. Greg Sage reigning SID of the year, 2022. So I would like to I would like to point out that they are supremely self-aware and understand exactly where they're located in the hierarchy of national sports needs and fill those roles and those spots when they feel like it's the right thing to do. And then understand what they are and, and who they are, and then maximize that by actually doing the job of communications. Yeah. <laughs> and I think they are they are among the best. It's the Titans and the Bruins, and well, that's all and, I'm going to say. Well, and I, and I would say I, I would say probably too. You would you I, I would say you would add Lipscomb down the street with that as well because uh, um, MTSU MTSU as well. I would say yeah. is also pretty good. There, I, I my my experience with both MTSU and Lipscomb has been Agreed. has has been very good. Agreed. Um, they don't you you know they 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 know where they are, and they and they 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 hustle a lot, and I appreciate that. That's and that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. That's the list. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, quickly, uh, my wife, my wife wanted to watch the doc the first day it came out. It came out on Tuesday and I I was, I'm interested in this, but as a college football nerd, sort of what, like, what is her interest in Manziel? Uh, she wants, she just wanted to know the story too. Like all the off the field stuff in the background and the money and the, the, the upbringing and, and everything. And that's kind now of, is, a lot. is this, is this doc where the suicide thing came, came it from? Does. It, it does. Okay. So, and, and that's really what I'm going to comment on here because, um, like I like the Swamp Kings is coming right. There's the one about the the Florida Gators under Urban Meyer, which again will be interesting. But for for somebody like me who's kind of been in the weeds on college football, in particular the SEC, I didn't learn a whole lot about Johnny Manziel. I didn't. I'm not. I don't imagine I'm going to learn a whole lot about the Urban Meyer tenure. Urban Meyer's largely an asshole. Um, I'm assuming that's what I'm going to learn from the doc. Um, but here's the thing about Manziel. So he is clearly very smart. He is clearly a very smart dude. And the opening scene, and I'm not going to, hopefully this is not spoiler alert, so I apologize. But the opening scene is him and his frat boys out in Scottsdale in real time, literally taking multiple bong rips, like opening scene, meaning he is now today living in Scottsdale taking bong rips, (laughs) like meaning his life hasn't changed a whole lot. The end scene is him sitting in his house in Scottsdale with his frat boys drinking. Again, beginning and end on purpose, I assume. In the middle, you're going to learn all about his journey, about his Heisman Trophy, about getting arrested before he took a snap, you know, his high school career, his family, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But he talks in the middle about going through what he went through, 
which is I was suicidal at one point in my career. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Like he talks about a lot of pretty heavy stuff. He is clearly very smart. And the document, the, the doc to me failed in a really massive way at the end by not giving us, and maybe this is Manziel's fault. Maybe he doesn't owe us anything. I don't know. And I'd like to hear your thoughts, but it doesn't tell me anything about what he actually wants to do, what, what he wants to accomplish, what path he wants to take. He's talking about very serious, heavy subjects that actually probably could have a huge impact on people's lives if they heard about it from a person like Johnny Manziel. And, and yet he has clearly no desire to change his current lifestyle. Maybe that's the story, that he's not ready to change his lifestyle. But he talks about all this really big, heavy, smart stuff, and he's clearly aware of it all and gives us no indication of what the future holds for him. He doesn't tell us that he wants to use this stuff for good or that he wants to change or that. He, and again, it's not he doesn't owe that to me as a viewer. But I was very, very unsatisfied with the end of the documentary because it didn't. It, there was no there, there was there was no wrap up there was no direction there was no motivation like what do you want to do with your life johnny like there was even if is, you're is rooting a, for him is that a is that a failure of the doc or is that a fa is that a failure of manzel because he just there's nothing there to wrap up i think it's it's probably a little bit of both but it what it does and this is cynical of me what it does is it says he took the bag and that's all he cared about yeah, because he got paid to do it. And if if all if if you want to bring us in with all this really heavy psychological stuff that clearly affects you, like you've been affected by this in a very profound way, and you kind of can I can tell that he understands it, right? Why'd you just take the bag to tell the story without giving us any any don't there's no meat on the bone. There there's nothing there there. And I think the docu you know, the Netflix untold people need to press harder for that. Or understand very clearly that Johnny was in it for the money. Again, that's a speculative speculative statement there. Similar to the Manti Teo documentary, where if Manti has sort of final edit on some of this stuff, and or Johnny has some of the final edit on this stuff because they have they get the bag on this, that's where I kind of start to go, ah, it was fun. I enjoyed it, but like very unsatisfying. So there you go. I uh, you're not it's not exactly a case for me watching this thing. I, I mean, it's it's fascinating to watch. How long I do, is it? Uh, it's like an hour and a half. It's not bad. Yeah. Um, but like, there's a moment in there where I I clearly started wondering, like, had all of the NIL stuff been allowed, does Johnny Football exist in the way that he self destructed? Because we all know the story. We know how he self destructed. And I'm curious if all of it was legal and all of it was above board and all of it was allowed. Does he go down that path or does he go down a different path? And I don't know the answer to that. That's what I would like him to tell us. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe he'll get paid for like, you know, 10 years from now uh, and kind of like what his life has been as a stoner kind of kind of in the in in the post football era. He, he is tatted up and the opening scene is bong rips and the closing scene is drinking beers. And and like the the scene before that, he's like, yeah, I guess I was too much of a frat frat boy. And then it cuts to him being a frat boy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't know. It's just it was very uh, un unfulfilling. But again, he doesn't know shit to me, so whatever. I, I, this th there's a whole genre of docs like this that are they're faster to produce because they don't uh, they don't kind of uh, investigate some of those questions. They, well, I should say interrogate some of those questions. Um, 
and uh, like th- th- there's a, there's a bunch of these docs on Hulu, for example. Um, he he said he said enough to make it very interesting to watch, but not enough to 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 make it like a real story. If that makes sense. I'm just glad they I'm just glad they kept it in like one part, I guess, instead yep. of like yep. like like kind of breaking this into like three 45 minute parts or just right. kind of extending it out. Pretty short NFL we, career, two years in college. <laughs> not a lot more to tell. I guess we've watched we've watched a couple of these late, lately that that I just like. I can't recommend just because they're they're just they're they're half uh, they remind you a lot of and I think one of them was actually done by um the guys that do like uh 2020 or Dateline or something like that and they're they they have a lot of filler in them. I mean, the Jordan documentary was like this where it's like I learned it was really cool insight, it was great to remember it all and relive it all and it was so much fun in the moment to remember what those moments and those games and those players and those personalities were like but like did we learn anything about jordan in that 10-part documentary nah not really well i mean but some of that had been covered so heavily i mean and jordan had been covered so heavily sometimes you're you're at a you're at a loss there because there's nothing new to reveal because he's been one of the most covered people on the planet for x number of years oh i think jordan's got some secrets he could reveal I mean, if he wants to, sure, if he wanted to, but I don't think he the, wanted to. How about the, I was going to say the fact that the two year hiatus away from NBA basketball in that documentary is largely uncovered. Like that's that's what this feels like. It's like, well, but I, I would, Johnny's I would watch person. that. I would watch that doc again, though, beginning to end right. because it was right. because it was that well done. It, it was the, the execution on that doc. You know, whatever the limitations of it were the execution on it was was pretty pretty fantastic again when you give the main character of a documentary final edit on the documentary are you actually getting a documentary <laughs> that's and the I question. Took that personally <laughs> that's the question okay um all right if you have any recommendations now's your time otherwise i'm done uh so again i i will ask you have you have you have you have you delved into the justified world yet? Nope. I asked you this a few weeks oh, ago. Oh, I've seen episodes. I've seen episodes. It's fine. Just, so so justified uh City Primeval is on FX right now. Uh it's also on Hulu. It is so good. It is it is exceptionally good. Um what they did was they took uh you know the the main character in Justified, uh, Raylan Givens, came out of a an Elmore Leonard novel uh, or short story called Fire in the Hole. Uh, when they it's a, it's a coal mining reference that shows up all the time in like the original Justified series, uh, City Primeval. What they did was because there he didn't write a lot of Raylan Givens books. Uh, what they did was they took. Uh, they took a book called city primeval, which is about the clash between this kind of outlaw criminal guy and a detective in Detroit. And they, and they put Raylan Givens into that situation instead of the detective. And it's a really neat piece of surgery. I got you. um, That lets them, lets them still be pretty faithful to the Elmore Leonard uh, source material. And it's, it's so good. All right. Let me ask you this. Should I so good? If I was going to start all of this, should I go back and start all of the justified stuff, or is this such a separate one that I can start with this one? What I would say, what I would say is this: is I mean, you you can watch this on its own. I would go watch season one and season two of Justified. 
and you can watch the rest of Justified, but like season two of Justified is one of the best seasons of television okay. out there. Uh, Margot Martindale uh, is the kind of the villain that season, and she I think she won an Emmy for it. Uh, she is she's a a spectacular actress, and 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 just gives like this gravitas to to the to the story i mean it's just it's it, it's an amazing performance but that whole season is, is quite good as well but you get exactly what raven givens is and so that helps to you don't have to have it but it helps to have that when you go into city primeval it's kind of like the essence okay. of raylan okay uh, all i know is that i've seen however many episodes of justified i've seen is that's how many more episodes i've seen of justified than nick suss has because because <laughs> the man does not the watch man drama. does not watch drama which is which is like insane some, to me i feel like something's going to break inside nick one uh, time one wrong. day and and all of a sudden he's going to be like fuck what have i been missing oh, here's another here okay here's an easter egg for you nick if you're listening and for anyone else who's listening <laughs> um i was at camp on thursday the day we're taping this and i he was we were talking about sitcoms and we were joking about saturday night live how much he loves saturday night live and i said he goes I bet you I can name like every host of every show ever. And I was like season 27, episode one, trying to give him a, a, an easy softball. Cause it's like episode one. I have no clue what year that even is. I don't even know what year that is. Season goes, 27. Would he goes be he, like in about three, 2001 technically. Yeah. Um, and so basically in a matter of, I, I don't know, 20 seconds, maybe 30 seconds. I think he says, is it Sean William Scott? Sean, I think it's Sean the William guy, Scott. Sean William Scott. Sean William Penn. He goes. He goes. Uh, uh, Sean William Scott or Sean William Penn, whatever the name is. No, who's the guy from American Pie? That guy, maybe. Yeah, that guy. And he goes. He says the name, and I was like, "No way!" And there's somebody standing with us who starts fact checking him, and and sure enough, he was wrong. It was, was it somebody else from American Pie? <laughs> no, that'd be weird. That he he got episode. It was episode two. <laughs> Sean Michael Scott or Sean Sean whatever his name is hosted season season 27 episode 2 he was off by one episode off the top of his head 50 years of seasons almost got the host correct to one week I was like all right dude that's close enough for me man <laughs> man go on jeopardy brother go to ja and go to Jasper's we do appreciate their support support local business Nashville banner of course uh, and all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network. For Nick, we do appreciate it. Thank you guys for listening. Rate, review, and subscribe. For Steve Cavendish, I am Braden Gall. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been Lamestream Sports right here on the 440 Sports Network.